0: Seth we're recording live on the mic can you let the listeners know what 502 Bad Gateway is
1: 502 Bad Gateway is a triple threat media outlet there's a website and social media which has news interviews and photo shoots on hopefully in the next month or so we'll be launching issue two of the magazine and that will feature ideas on the state of menswear and the fashion industry alongside some banging editorial a comic and a whole host of other great stuff And then there's this podcast, which is basically going to be topical conversation with you and me, and some in-depth interviews.
0: So we're planning a few interviews with friends and people that we've met through work. This podcast will document their creative output and the projects that they're working on.
1: Our first interview is with Ruben Martino, aka Wellwishers88. Ruben's a great guy, who's as well-informed as he is well-dressed. A talented graphic designer, his lo-fi visual style mixes phrases and lettering with sci-fi visuals. Definitely check out Wellwishers88 on Instagram as you listen.
2: Hi, my name's Ruben. I'm a graphic designer, living in London. Um, Been playing my trade for like ten years or so, and uh, and yeah, here I am.
1: So, if you were to meme yourself, what's a Ruben Martinez starter pack? It would be.
2: The Supreme Five panel. <laughs> it would be a pair of battered Air Max Ones. It would probably be like the Drake and Future album cover. Is that one of your favourites? You it's a banger, yeah. The whole one of my album is a, a pretty band- banger. Is one of my um, and most likely something like ridiculous, like drumsticks or some shit like that, or a wamba Bar. <laughs> <laughs> like, it encapsulates me like some sort of weird like streetwear, hype boy, kind of like... fashionado kind of guy. I feel like that would be like the perfect meme yeah. to hit me up. And then if I can fit in like the Kanye West like sad, angry, motionless face be <laughs> so yeah. I'd be pretty chuffed with that one. Is that usually your face at work? Yeah, I have resting angry face, so I can't help that mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. It's like one extreme to the other I feel. So, sometimes I can be like super happy and super like energetic and pump up with like jokes and all that kind of stuff, but then at the same time, I'm still feeling that way, but my face tells you a different story completely about it. But I do like to smile, that's not an issue. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been at ASOS? Us- Coming up to three years in October. Okay. Um, so, a little bit of time. Like, uh, I was the second graphic design's coming to the menswear team and now we've got six of us so it's like grown steadily um for three years and stuff like that but it's been it's been a good journey yeah it's um something that i was like looking to do anyway obviously like i said with the whole streetwear thing i've always wanted to do my own t-shirts wanted to do my own hoodies and stuff like that and it gives me a platform here to do it and the encouragement to then go on and do my own stuff as well um so it's been it's been really good so is your stuff starts in
0: the
1: ASUS marketplace. Is that? No, nope. well, no. Ribbon does like the graphics for the actual. Oh, but I thought maybe
0: he got his own. Oh, uh, side, side hustle. No, no, no.
2: The no. Uh, that's a completely different side hustle. It's uh, a thing sure. where obviously to an extent things have to be a little bit commercial here and have to mm-hmm. be a little bit more concise and a bit more restrained in terms of like design work and stuff. Like that. And that. with my side hustle, like I get to do literally whatever I want. The outlets are a lot more free, I can mess around with colours, mess around with tones, I literally have more control over it, whereas here it's more of a thing where I can do a graphic and it can be put onto a robe, it can be put onto swim shorts, it can be put onto sandals, I have no control after that. So um, with the personal work that I do, I have much more control of where it goes, how I put it into a medium and all that kind of stuff, so it's a lot more beneficial for me. When I started out I was doing a lot of collage and from that came a lot of, like, nostalgic science fiction kind of landscapes and focal points and stuff like that so my work has naturally moved from collage into a more digital platform but I still carry that weird nostalgic ambiguous like utopia kind of vibe through into my digital work and that works with, like, things that is a bit obscure, you know, Um, ritual-based imagery. Old seventies visionary imagery stuff like um, Russian posters from the seventies that are like adaptations of the Western posters, so to speak. So they're a bit more intense, a bit more weird and out there, and stuff like that. Um, and then magazines that have um, inspired me from the points of like National Geographic for collage and gone into like things like Omni and that kind of stuff. So much more like you know science fiction, airbrush graphics, weird stuff. Is streetwear more your thing? Would you say like? I think like for me like clothing and like the whole like body of it all has been like a massive part of it as well. Like I started out when I was younger buying my first pair of kicks up like my trainers and slamming kicks and Covent garden and all that kind of stuff and in Soho. Um, and I was lucky enough to have different groups of friends, friends that were like super into DIY hardcore and stuff so I got an appreciation for Like graphics in that sort of sense, like throwaway graphics, graphics that are quick and easy to make and stuff like that. But I still have like a a big passion and a big like affection for like things that are a bit more commercial, a bit more like, you know, expensive in that sort of sense. So it's a big juxtaposition in the two. And um, I feel like that works quite well as a blend. So you mentioned Stone Island and you previously mentioned Drake. What are your thoughts
0: on the whole? Drake now to Stone Island, like he's now mates with Arco Mayor, That whole Drake is now a roadman. He loves London. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah.
2: I think it's become a thing where um, it's no longer down to what we can perceive as like, well, how we feel about certain things. You know, I think we've got, we're at a place now where brands want to like link up with other brands and then make sure that the brand is right for that person or whatever and they help propel that brand to some different stratosphere. You know? I feel like they did that really well. With Stone Island and stuff, you had one-of-one pieces, you got a lot of limelight and a lot of the, like, light-shot on mm-hmm. Stone Island and stuff like that, which obviously makes everything maybe a little bit more harder to access and stuff like that. But for me, when you have brands like Stone Island, for example, it's not a thing where, like, they keep restocking, like, they do one piece and they do one season and you're going to get that and that's all it's got. Um, there's no reissues or anything like that. And I feel like brands like that hold a certain ethos where you know, if you're into that brand and if you're into like, the ethos that they carry and the, like, the fabrications and the techniques and all that kind of stuff, you're going to back it no matter what. I guess at the end of the day, Jake is one of those people that like has that sort of air that he, he wants to be one of one, wants to be a special guy. So for me, it only seems fitting the whole thing with the Jordan brand and OVO and Drake and all that stuff also seem fitting. What doesn't seem fitting is the Adidas Drake stuff. For me, it seems like another thing where someone's chucked me a check. It's a bit bigger than Nike's one. I'll go with you guys. Um, so at the, end of the day money talks, and I'm sure you know if Maharishi were like going towards anybody you we would have taken that as well. But I guess it's one of those things where for me, the brands Stone Island and Drake sat sat pretty well, whereas Drake and Adidas, for example, don't. Said that well yeah. with me.
0: And what are your thoughts on Stain Island collaborating with the likes of Supreme and uh, Were you into
1: that? Nike. For me, that was yeah. one of those ones where I was just there, like, oh, this could have been.
2: It the could bad. have been better than what it was, in my opinion. I mean, that they've that was... done a, they've done a few, haven't they? Yeah. And, um, yeah. I feel like progressively, it's got worse, and I feel, as I feel with Supreme, <laughs> it's got it's got worse and becomes much more of a thing where I feel as if they don't take as much time considering like design aspects, fabric aspects and all that kind of stuff. It seems very logo heavy all the time, even with the new Fox racing stuff like today that came out and whatnot. Um, again they push the boundaries, like the the heat, trench and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time it's just another it's just another money making scheme, isn't it? Like for me personally. I don't feel like it's a very good Thing, because, for example, they're never going to do a Supreme Sasquatch Fabrics thing because it's always yeah. going to be too niche, too out there. They're probably not going to sell it all straight away. And if they, when they did, I many the slippers they're sitting for a while and stuff like that. So it becomes a much more thing of like, what can you dish out quick and what can't you dish out quick. And sometimes they stick their neck out, sometimes they do. But well, sometimes they don't. But I feel like the Stoner and Supreme stuff, good when it first started, gradually got worse. For example, that rose... Half our floral jacket thing was, for me, horrific. Um, (laughs) And it's literally something that, like, we knock up here at ASOS day-to-day, you know, it doesn't feel different. And something that I always appreciated about Supreme was that it was different. It was hard to find a brand that was, like, in line with the design aesthetic, in line with the, like, kind of design fabrications that they were doing. And now, similar to Palace, it feels as if they're more... Well, it feels like they're conforming to the high street and like high street fashion and catwalk fashion more and more and it's something that I didn't expect from them. You know, I expect to make their own path opposed to following trends, so to speak.
0: They've, they've definitely done that. When like, have you seen the new billboards, not billboards, but like
2: the side of buses with the whole kind of catwalk sort of Yeah, caught that today actually going past the yeah. FNAF in Camden, <laughs> which was big mad. Um yeah, it's just stuff like that, you know. I think it's um, it's general progression. And I understand that the whole thing with social media and all that kind of stuff like encourages you to do more, make more things accessible, have more you know items and products for the people that want it and stuff like that. But you've got to kind of stay true to your ethos to a certain point, you know. And I feel like some brands have kept to that and some brands haven't. Like, for example, Maharishi, they've been here for time and they continuously put out decent products and they don't ever try and put themselves out there on social media, marketing, anything like that, you know, and I feel like that's something that maybe they should be looking at again, because it should be something that's like synonymous, you know, like Supreme Palace, it's like a mm-hmm. different brand, they're doing different shit, they're not doing stuff that's catwalk or high street, it's literally different. Yeah,
0: because to their detriment, they've gone, they've gone under a few times, haven't they, and been bought out. Yeah. I don't know who's bought them out recently. Yeah. I heard JD bought them out last time. JD bought out people Marishi? Apparently, that's what I heard, yeah. like they They're kind under, and I think potentially for that reason, they do their marketing, they do their advertising, yeah. their design and the process of what they do and how they make it is really, really cool. It's, so it's one.
1: So, you can always pick up a Marishi bargain on eBay, it? Yeah, yeah.
0: It's
2: sort of. Weird. really?
1: Yeah, like it, there's. Some I mean, of it's shy. absolute shy, but some of it's really, really sick.
2: And it's The absurd. embroidery pieces that give me the most, man. Like yeah. The embroidery level is on a different scale, you know, and like obviously we work here, we know like the costs and all that kind of stuff. And uh when I'm having chats and we're like we're, we're stuck to three colours on an embroidery and they yeah, I'm sitting there and they've got like twelve, fifteen, and it's super tight and it's super detailed I'm like yo you guys are putting a lot of effort in despite knowing that you're probably going to take a knock on this product you still want to put a level out all the time you're not compromising like your aesthetic your integrity or anything like that you're constantly putting out the same level of product all the time every time you're not doing five t-shirts for spring summer for the sake of it or doing a pair of like brand's collab shoes for the sake of it, you're doing it because you feel the necessity or the need to put it out there, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And it's something that I feel a lot of brands don't do anymore. I think they yeah. still, they're
0: still pretty special as well,
2: if you compare yeah.
0: it to the palaces and the Supremes, in my opinion, like
2: it's like a fucking like museum, isn't it? It's, just like, it's, you know, like, it's an archival thing, isn't it? And I remember when I first went in there, and there was those like, the vending machines with the teddy bears, and like all the books at the back, and all that kind of stuff, and like all these mad pieces, that they were like, the, yeah, yeah, the ninja. At the end of the day, it's probably their own fault that they were like mad ahead of their time in terms yeah. of shape, mm-hmm. like technical like pockets and all that mother yeah. mad stuff. Do you know what I mean? So like they were setting trends and setting like past before they even pretty much knew what they were doing. And now it's one of those things where like, right we want a technical jacket, but you know what, Stoney's a little bit more, you know, hype than like Maharish and stuff, but at the end of the day. Spending three hundred pounds on a normal shirt, it's only spending three hundred pounds on literally a tech jacket at Maharichi that's lasting time, you know. Um, so that's just the
1: difference really, I think. Yeah, and they're not chasing the money as much in it, yeah. As sure. And that's the thing man, I
2: feel like if you're if you start out, everyone starts out I feel in like the same kind of concept, you know, they're like they're sick and tired of buying product that's too expensive or product that doesn't work after three or four weeks, you know what I mean? Whether that be shrinks or like all that kind of stuff. Like, and I feel that companies now don't take their starting integrity and ethos and carry it all the way through. Like, I'm sure it's difficult and I'm not about it all that well and all that kind of stuff, but it feels almost like, as if they just like halfway through the compromise that they're like, should we take more money and start like selling more places and like, you know, reeling back the technical stuff and the production costs and all that stuff and make more or should we just like crack on and all that because my first palace t-shirt was sewn up with fishing line made a ma- matter Mauritius yeah Mauritius said Mauritius so many times already <laughs> Mauritius and I was like what's, what's going on with fishing line like in like the collar and all that kind of stuff you know and like even though that was cheap they're starting out do you know what I mean so I can understand that and they're going to get better with time but when you're then make it, when you've then got a shop and your t-shirts just as bad quality as the one from the start, that's yeah, right. like a little bit of a gripe. You should be able to like push your product forwards. If you've got more shops, you've got more store openings and stuff like that, more places to stock you, drop a bit more money. Don't be tight with it and make more products. Just like make carry that all the way through, you know? Um, Do you still have that t-shirt? No, nah, I sold every damn one of them. Really? Every damn one of them, I sold them. my Palace t-shirts, a lot of my cream t-shirts. Because as much as it's like, for me, an archive thing that like I'd want to keep it for myself, there comes a the point where like, I don't want to, I'm not into it as much as I am before, and if someone's going to turn around and offer me like, four times the price of something that I've worn for five years, then, hey man. I do not I do know. Talks, this <laughs> is all like, you know, well-contradicted in itself, do you know what I'm saying? It, it is, is, but it's like... A, it's it's a yeah. cycle, isn't it? It yeah. is now, because that's where it's got to much. you know what I mean? Like, you mm. buy, you sell, you buy, you keep, like, and it's one of those things where more often than not, you buy, you wear, you use it, you sell it unless there's something terribly wrong with it, you know? Um, that's and sweet, then, that's if you've sold them all, what did you buy with the money? What did you cut next? I'm a... I'm really... It's really strange, because I used to be super into buying that brand new 50 pound t-shirt, getting those new kicks and all that kind of stuff. But like, as I've got older, I've adopted more of a different kind of dress sense, so to speak. Like I care a little bit less about brands and I care more about comfortability and the technicalities and products and stuff like that. Like I've stopped worrying about buying Ralphie socks, Ralphie trousers. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the essentials and all that stuff, and I just go down and I pick up any essentials, do you know what I mean? Like the trousers, don't really phase me and all that stuff like that. And as I said before, I've got to a point now where most of the stuff I want to buy is either far too expensive or I'll buy it and I'm worried about ruining it in the first couple of days. So like, again, as I said, I'd rather put my efforts into making a t-shirt that I want to wear, say for example, my design, then that's it, that's £20. and again. That goes back to the whole hardcore DIY kind of thing, you know, where it's like super churning, you can recycle t-shirts quick time, you can use them whenever you want, however you want, whether they get dirty or not, you don't... You still like that t-shirt because it's sick zone, right? But you're not like, fuck, I just wrecked that yeah. t-shirt, cost me 9 You know, and I feel like that's something that we should be able to, like, maybe bring back sometimes. Like, it's all good, dressing nice, every now and again having that expensive piece, like one or two, but, like, to be clubbed out with three, four grand's worth of stuff on the back is just not... It's not really the look. It's not really the look. It's like, it's, it's like the moving. I feel like
1: you've still got loads of kids and shit, obviously still into Supreme, but everyone who's like around our age is, I'm going to call this post-hype. Mm. Kind of, they're like, I'm not, you know, not interested. So like, if you if you like, saw anyone turn up in, a, a, like, a BOGO now, you'd just be there like, oh, like, that's... Maybe a box logo, but i be like, I'd like, like you know, like, yeah, um, no, be like, oh, this well, is a bit.
0: I think that's a decent segue into like, what's your favourite piece? What's probably the one thing that you could wear for a long time? Or the thing that you'd save in the fire? The thing that you'd fuck with the most? Maybe not wear the most, but your favourite piece.
2: There's like two things that I haven't sold out, of my, <laughs> uh, out of the whole Supreme thing. And it's the, um, the Nate Lowe, Shibuya box logo it's with sick. the bullet holes. It holds, man. And the other one is a, um, it's a Grey Marl i wore a T-shirt, it's got the um, Liberty print on the back, I think it's got like a, like a hardcore scene on the front, the type is washed away in like distressed and stuff, and it's in a really nice like green and orange gradient, and those two aren't going anywhere, like they're the ones that I've always to because again, like I said, the Supreme aspect of it always felt to me, a little bit DIY, a little bit hardcore and stuff like that, and that T-shirt resonated, Everything that I felt at that time, and again, like I said, the uh, Nate Lowe box logo I think is the best one out of the bunch.
0: Where did you get them from? Was that like a email um, back in the day? No, nah, there was
2: a place called he- Hip Leads oh, when okay. I went to uni, um, and that's where I first encountered queues for clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit mad, but it was a bit well, there was a situation where like Hip Leads was a tiny, tiny, tiny shop, and you had to go upstairs and you used to do like one, two people at a time and like the most it would be was like 30 people, do you know what I mean, nothing like it is now. Um, but there was much more of a sense of community. I was going to say, you probably knew most of those people, yeah. you knew you and you probably mm-hmm. And like you then up and you go to the, to the shop put together and that and you wouldn't get stressy about who got in there first and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it was a much better vibe. And it's the same thing with Hideout, you know, I think that was something like 2006, 2007 when I started going in there. And that again was like a nice friendly vibe. that had a few little pieces, but it also carried Stussy original fake. Stuff that all sat well together. Nothing ever seemed out of place. Um, Did you ever go to Bond International? That used to be somewhere no. somewhere in central. I forgot
0: where. I went there when I was literally at fourteen. I might have
2: done, no. but like again, I can't remember. Literally, the only ones that I like stick out of my mind were my trainers, slamming kicks, hideout, and this dusty shop on Seven Dials. Yeah. For me, those were the ones to go for. Segwaying quickly into something <laughs> 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 complete pivot.
1: One time I saw you doing something on the Epcot Centre. Could you tell us a little bit about that? And then also, how you found out about what it was? Like, what was the thing that put
2: you onto it? Um, Showing sure you enough, like, my girlfriend went to uh, the Disney Resort in Orlando when she was younger. I heard you mentioned that there was like this space thing called the Epcot Centre. Um, she didn't really go into it because it seemed a little bit boring, and I was like, it sounds a little bit intriguing, obviously, going off the whole sci-fi science thing did a little bit of research and like I found out that you know Walt Disney was a bit of a bossy dude in terms of <laughs> trying to bring things forward you know and they dedicated a whole chunk of their park to essentially this like futuristic haven where they would show you like futuristic cars and they show you science and they talk about space and all that kind of stuff ultimately like it opened up I think in 1972 um, and they pumped loads of money into it, it's closed now, or well, most of it's closed have been rebranded and stuff like that. But it's just the, um, for me it was more the ideas that they had about how the future was going to be and how it's like transgressed into what it is now, you know, and I felt like one of those places, like the Epcot Center, that doesn't get all that much. Well that was the first time I would heard about it, so for me that was a bit of a bizarre situation because I felt like I was quite in the know about all the science fiction and, you know theories and all that kind of stuff, but like looking into it, researching it more and more, there's like different parts of it, different aspects of it, like what it did for essentially the community in Florida as well, and what happened to it after it all disappeared. And I found it a really interesting thing, and I was just like, you know, I'm just gonna do like a bit of a informative design project on it. Managed to pull out, I think it was something like eight nine designs. Got to a point where I even wanted to do more, you know, because I felt as if like it, it garnered that kind of attention as well. Um, but it was a really good, really good, and inspirational project for me to do because, like, it gave me a bit more insight into like just how things have changed massively. You know, like I remember watching movies back in the day when I was younger, and it was a case of like, we'd have flying cars by twenty twenty, we'd have silver suits by twenty twenty, we'd be eating astronaut food by twenty twenty, and like, you know, we're on the cusp of it now. And nothing's really changed. there's no yeah. hoverboards, there's no like hover cars, there's nothing insane, there's no like cities in the sky or anything like that, you know. It's everything's changed, but it's been more of like in the sense of personal technological advancements and like more of it's named with the person than it is like the environment and stuff like that. Um, because we haven't really changed the way in which we're living back then to how we are now, you know. I think there's like smaller aspects of it, you know, there's more organizations that want to do environmental power and wanna help out in that sort of sense but we still drive oil we're yeah. Still drilling yeah cars. What were your thoughts on what
0: you on like wearable tech and how like how bigger brands to, such as like Unicodes of the world are trying to do like you know, asymmetric tech kind of looking products or all like birds and snowballs you like a they're like a solar panel on the shoulder one there like A K jackets kind of charges your iPod or your iPhone it's kind of, fun. I
2: don't know, is it gimmicky? Are you like, um, i feel like it's yeah. I feel like it's the way it's supposed to go, you know. I was having a conversation with my mate Mike the other day and he was telling me about an um, Issa uh, Mekai book that he had a look at where, I think I can't remember the name of it, some obscure Japanese like designer had made this utilitarian jacket that had like 95 pockets. Um, that was like apocalypse <laughs> ready and it was all inside pockets, all inside the trouser pockets and stuff like that. And, like, to consider that was in, like, the 90s or late 80s and stuff like that, people have already got that kind of idea, that thought in their head, where you know what, it's going to be important one day maybe to be able to, like, carry as much as I can or, like, to have all the things that are essential to my day-to-day on my person all the time. So I feel like it's just natural progression. The whole thing of adapting it to fit in with technology is only natural, man. I mean, look at Gore-Tex, and now they were, like, doing stuff in Patagonia, so, like, it's only natural for it to go down this avenue, I feel, you know.
1: Yeah, it's mad when you hear about people, I guess, like the Epcot Center thing as well, and like whoever Mike was talking about, when you hear about something from at least 10 or 20 years ago and people are still having the same ideas. Yeah. Like, Massimo Oftsteen did that left hand collection and did like a thermo joint jacket for the end of the world. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's probably still people out there having those thoughts and pulling those ideas sort of Absolutely.
0: definitely there was a guy who used to work with and he made a a coat that would turn into a like a like a bivvy bag so you could have oh, a yeah. on it for like long distance yeah. and you wouldn't have to carry like a like a bike bag on the back of your bag so you said weight he basically pull it out and it was made out of some weird like, like not Cuban, yeah Cuban fiber Yeah, they yeah, yeah. It down, massive it, and that's actually been like, that's kind of all encompassing, all in one's rolled out from that, I think it's tail, all out. It's nice, okay, yeah. really, like, I get really, I would really hype on that. always yeah, end up looking at acronym
1: thinking like, can my credit card limit take this? i going to get Yeah, yeah. this so is always, no. You can, like, go out and burn a hole in it with a cigarette, you then well, have to right,
2: bits of it. That's it, isn't it, at the same time, because like, things like that cost a premium, but they're going to last you. As long as you don't reckon, you know, you look after they're going to last you, yonks, man, they're going to last you 10, 12 years, 20 years, whatever. And it's still going to be a fresh idea in 20 years. Because I find that everything is like incredibly Mm -hmm. cyclical, whether it be art, music and all that kind of stuff. Everyone picks references up and all that. And to assume that 20 years ago, some guy wasn't concerned about, you know, where the world was going, Mm -hmm. what he could do. You know, it would be like it would be ignorant because like we're thinking about it now ten years in time they're gonna be thinking about it too. They're gonna be thinking about different techniques and different ways of adapting like things that they've seen in order to like you know benefit them in their life and stuff like that. Possibly different issues
0: to overcome with designing yeah. what creative process they have.
1: Yeah, it's mad. Huh? Um, so then, speaking of creative process, does yours like differ from so? we talked about the Epcot Center and kind of graphic design stuff, but if you're putting something on a t-shirt versus if you're doing just a little project, does it all start in the same way and then you work out what happens next or...?
2: I feel like everything's adaptable. Um, Any piece of design's adaptable, you know, at the end of the day, whether it be a t-shirt, a table, you know, a magazine, like a product, it's all essentially a blank canvas and how you interact with it from the get-go. I'm lucky enough to like the graphic design that I do more often not it's print based and that and that translates well to apparel it translates well to, you know, print and all that kind of stuff as well so um, for me it's more, my starting points are more like, literary based so like language for me plays a big part like I'm Portuguese and I came over when I was three and I struggled a lot with learning to speak Portuguese at home and then learning to speak English at school and I've always found, like, the marriage of language and understanding incredibly important and incredibly insightful as well. So, like, I always try and start with a word that's a little bit different, a little bit obscure, because I find that the English language, there's so many words that, that mean the same thing, you know, like spellings or whether it be, like, the explanations or the definitions, you know, um, that for me is my first point of reference. And then from that, I can work with images, with compositions, with colours and all that kind of stuff and how I see fit from literally just that word, which is just it. yeah it's good
0: so how did you find it growing up in a relatively multicultural kind of design company and being like a young man of colour studying design how was that at home was it kind of like you like your friendship circle was it kind of like mate what are you doing we don't Me, do that because I... coming from an Indian background I can tell you, like studying photography at a like, uh, foundation level, it was like, the fuck you bro? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Especially my cousins that were all sort all of being doctors or straight finance or that's it, like finance will die.
2: It goes against the grain a little bit, yeah. you know, and I feel like I, I wanted to conform and be a little bit like my mates when I left, t- left school, because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to be an history teacher. All of them were like academics, they were like science, and maths and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, I want to stay with this group of people, so I want to do something that's like academic, getting yeah. you know, in history. Didn't get enough GCSEs for history. I got pied off and told to go do a GMVQ in art and design. I did GCSE art and design, but it was never really... Artie. What, what I thought was going to be like the end game, you know? So going from a place where I got told I'm not good enough to do history, go fizzle off over there and do a bit of art, that got me going and stuff like that. So I did a, a year GMVQ. Um, And then I moved on to a BTEC, then I moved on to a foundation, then I moved on to a diploma, and I studied art for I think it was some like eight, nine years. Um, And from that, I got a much bigger understanding, appreciation, and like affinity for for the subject itself, you know. Um, My parents always encouraged me to do what I wanted to do. Um, They never said I don't go into art or anything like that. Um, My friends, too, they're all. The ones that I've stuck with, they're all pretty creative based, they're into the same kind of music as me, same kind of like, you know, fashion sense and all that kind of stuff. So they carry me as well in a sort of sense where I don't feel as if there's any pressure on me to be different. You know, I've got friends that do computer tech, I've got friends that do plumbing and stuff like that. So it's each mad different spectrum, but at the end of the day, we're all essentially working to like, offer a product, so to speak, or offer an opinion in a sort of sense we're all there to do a job you know whether that be manual or, or creatively we're all here to do like at the end of the day a job and I feel like they've always kept me grounded in that sort of sense and they've always supported me with the side hustle that I've done whether that be here at work and all that kind of stuff so it's always been easy
0: decent do
2: you want to talk more about this project that you've done recently this Yala so um, Yala came about with um, a friend that I knew from in Leeds from Leeds called Mike, uh, Michael Ford, and he um, runs this thing called X-Ray Free Electron Laser. And he's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a bad name, it's hard. Sometimes I've got to man. take a little bit of time to remember what it is. But um, he, he brought me together with this guy called Josh. Josh went to Palestine, did a little bit of um, work for Skatepow, you know, and he like, helped out there for a bit. Whilst he was out there, he took loads of documentation, photos and stuff like that. He, um, I think his intention was to like pay more attention to the culture and the people that live there. But naturally his, um, his eye drew him towards like cars, that kind of culture, the decals and how essentially, you know, they are living a life in the same time as us, but essentially like in the 90s to where we were. Um, and so coming together with him, putting together this scene called Yella, um, try to make it as authentic and as like true to Palestine as we possibly could. Um, all the way down to the paper, all the way down to the colours, all the way down to the decals that we use, the photos, everything has to, well in my eyes anyway, had to have like this feel of of being organic, not a glossy page spread or something like that, or something that feels like, you know, your big company made it, something that's a little bit more tactile and feels a little bit more personal. And I feel like his photos definitely carried that kind of uh, aesthetic through. And like with the combination of my design work, it was literally easy just to tweak, change, add a few little designs and stuff like that, and it came together really well. Um, and it's the first of many, I believe. Like, they brought out a, a zine recently before this one called Riding Shotgun, like, which again focused on cars, so as you can see, that is the general progression of the... Um,
1: and is that, you talk about skate power, or... X-ray-free what? What was his thing? X-ray-free electron laser. X-ray-free electron laser. Is it They're bringing out the... The guy did X-ray-free electron laser. He needs to, like, get a little expert. shorter. You can, can it you, it expert. Expert. you can drop it to X-ray. You can drop it to X-ray. So the guy does X-ray. Did he just link you to up? Or well, he's is um, he the one or Escape Power Publishing the Z? no,
2: no, no. He he's what linked us up. He's the creator of it all, and he's one of those guys that's like his. I think his natural gift is bringing people together, you yeah. know, getting them into conversation, getting like-minded people into a room, and being able to like spark up ideas and stuff like that. So he brought us together. I didn't know Josh before that, or the other guy Paul as well. He does a lot of um, typesetting and stuff like that. I didn't really know. I didn't know them at all. And after this project that we've done, we're quite it's quite a tight thing, you know, and like it sparked a bit of a, a surge within us to do more, to do as much as we can, because to an extent, I feel as if London lacks a bit of this like DIY communal like stuff. You know, I feel like the only place that really like brings that kind of thing together is Goodhood. Beach. London did it as well, but I feel like they've gone up to um, the top up there in Camden and stuff there. They don't do as much as they maybe did. Um, and the other thing that you've got is maybe off-print leads, the illustration fair, so it's more of a thing where, you know, we can put out products, put out ideas, and hopefully get to a point where we can, like, distribute them on a more massive scale, and give them out in a more of a sense where, like, it's an art fair, here in London, anywhere, really, because Mike does a lot of jet-set, he goes from place to place, and this is another thing, he's able to meet up and talk to different like-minded people in different countries, you know, and that's something that we, we want to take advantage of in the sense where we can get different outlooks and different perspectives on things that we also think about, whether it be like apocalyptic utilitarian yeah. gear or what was the other thing he was talking about? He was talking about like gamma radiation plants and stuff like that, you know, just different thoughts, different ideas, and conversations yeah. that he's had with people from halfway across the world that he can bring to us or we can bring to them and stuff, and then, you know, do like a worldwide collaboration because i feel like collaborations are more often than not overlooked i know i did it a lot at uni i didn't ever want to collaborate with anybody i always felt like i could do it on my own and i would get it out of my own but there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting a hand getting a different perspective having like a mate that can like you know back you through like a product that you want to put out and stuff like that so collaboration for me i've learned very late on into my life that it's like a very important thing and to do it as much as you can whenever you can you know because like it's tough doing stuff on your own there's no media yeah. you know so what would be your maybe not ideal
0: brief but if any brand was to come to you who what, like, what would be your kind of top first choice and also second question that: uh, what's the brand that you'd be like you know i'm not really on it but the paycheck is just too good to say no to
2: For me, I, I I really want to be working with like DSM in terms of like how they carry their t-shirt, section of t-shirt shop and stuff like that. I feel like they give a really good insight into like up and coming brands and like startups and stuff like that and they always give them a chance and once they've like got to that level, you know, I feel like they come back to you and they ask you to do more bits and bobs as you can see with like, you know, the DSM. Brain dead stuff that they've done together, with the collab in Japan and stuff like that. So like for me, DSM would be one of those things to like aspire to because I feel like as much as they have their own aesthetic and stuff, they will give you free creative direction. And I feel like a lot of brands yeah. don't do that. Um, they do have a bit of a platform, don't they,
0: with like, springboarding some really tiny brand. That yeah. Just yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, like it's like the
1: one shop, it's like there at maybe Hostel, but you walk yeah. in and you're just like, no, you can't afford anything, but you'll still find
0: something that's kind of uh, the fuck It's, it's so crazy. mad, isn't it? Just like, you've got, obviously, Junior and CDG and all that stuff, and a bit of Palace and whatever, but there's always... A few racks of the man. They have the
2: Lies Records T shirts, I yeah. think, before most people and they've like blown up now since they started the record label and stuff like that. They had better beforehand. They started doing Brand Dead beforehand. Like they had they always have the small niche DIY design people, you know. They always try and get them in and then from there it just it blows up like as it as it should do, you know. But I feel like they give a good platform in Springboard, as you mentioned, to people that want to do something but maybe a little bit different. So is, no. is, is there a brand that,
0: you know, maybe totally is in every fibre of your body and just like, you know what, I don't fuck with them. If, if super dry? It yeah, super dry, I'm Like like, like some, like, some
2: Primark. There's stuff like, obviously super dry is not happening, H&M is not, <laughs> <happening. Zara's laughs> not happening, Zara is not happening, Top is not happening. You mentioned H&M, like,
0: is that because of the recent, apparently there's something like there, any street art yeah. they could replicate? Don't quote on that, but it's something similar no, to that. No, they have, like, this thing,
2: mm-hmm. I think they even opened up a lawsuit against Reebok or something saying that, you know, if it's done on the street, it's intentionally fair. That's, That's it. Again, you if I can't take the it photo, it's mine. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You can't really do anything about it. But at the end of the day, as much as it's for public consumption, you need to give praise and, like, you know, at least mention the people that you're referencing sure. when you're doing this stuff. Because everyone, especially, like, street artists and graffiti artists, you know, they're striving. And they're, their intention is not to get to that place, you know? They just want to express themselves and get dangerous with shit. Um, so to like take that aesthetic and take that ethos and then carry it over to fast fashion and be like nah, it's not for cool. you, it's, it's ours, like we can do what we want with yeah. it. It's a bit of a slap in the face, you know, and that's the backlash that they get. Um, and it's the same with like Forever 21, uh, Zara, H&M, know Tom know Tom all it's all fast fashion and everyone has to like, you know, reference certain bits and bubbles, but at the same time I hate how people can come through and talk about, you know, Kanye's tour stuff for um, St. Pablo, or whatever, 21 Forever, Forever 21, whatever, ripped that design off, like, nah, they ripped off. First and foremost, it was done for a Japanese radio station. The artist then did it for Kanye. Kanye then put it out. H&M sees what they do, they're gonna copy that, or they're gonna reference it. So at least mention where the origin the origin yeah. came from, do you know what I mean? Don't there is a sense where like, oh this super famous dude or whatever's done it first so it's gospel he's done it first because even looking at like you know the whole thing with Virgil Virgil openly says that he references stuff but he keeps getting dragged into this like dark corner being like you bit Raph or you bit old school Dior or yeah. whatever do you know what I mean but it's cyclical just yeah. like music just like fashion everything's referenced everything's taken from the point from before. it's just how you decide to reinterpret that idea you know and who
1: you credit Important. Yeah, yeah exactly Do you
2: think he'll do well at uh, Lufthansa? I don't think he's going to do anything wild. I don't think he's going to, like, shake the world. I think the the appointment of him being there is more of a shock factor than what he'll do. I can't really see him doing anything else apart from, Mm -hmm. like, essentially off-white, in a more couture way, um, maybe. But, like, I think it's a bigger deal that he got the appointment than him putting out seasons. For sure, it killed me because (laughs) when
1: <laughs> he's playing Park Life this summer. What? No, he's not. He's on the poster, of a said to he was like, John, come weird. to this. How far down is he? Really? Low, like four <sighs> to five on, like, not the main stage. So wow. <laughs> it's well funny. I was just there, like, oh, Like, he's just going to come through and do a DJ set. Is, is it? Like just a, I dash really... Louis Louie bags 000. and belts and chips. He's got them all yeah. out.
2: Well, you know, probably the, the, the whole road. Benji B deviation yeah. vibe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But that's again, like, he's smart in that sort of sense because he's collaborating with people from across the pond, whether it be Benji B or whatever, and he's getting an insight into essentially UK culture. Mm-hmm. Um, he's getting an insight into UK grime, into UK tunes, and he's adapting that reference in it. And whether or not he then takes that, you know, that one tune or that one dub play and he puts it into like a Louis V dress or like a resonance yeah. of that into it yeah probably won't do it but at least he's had that kind of like inspiration in that moment in his life where he's appreciated something different and like who knows man that might spark something else so again goes back to the collaborating thing like why would you not want to link up with people that are like minded like you and that can essentially shape the world a little bit I feel interesting
0: to see what goes with like runway music like for the shows mm-hmm. yeah because he's yeah like he said the whole Benji B off-white nights that you did when they were in town. That part was sick, because mm-hmm. it was like, everyone and everyone was on that. That stuff that night. Pretty yeah. shit. I think that's more or less it. Oh, what's... Um,
1: did we talk, actually, about what the T-shirts you're making are?
2: I hope you mentioned no. that, I didn't go into it. Um, so, like, the T-shirts are just an extensive part of um, the design work. Like, I... My biggest thing at the moment with... Uh, We're having a lot of stuff from like Instagram and Tumblr. Is that it's not tangible? It's not a physical thing. You know, it's a very flat thing that you see through your screen, and like we're all guilty of just flicking through and liking. It's a very easy process, you know. Um, And I don't want to lose myself in that sort of digital world where everything I do only gets like praise or like airtime but through like a screen you know I feel like it needs to be a physical tangible thing and that's the same with with zines and stuff like that it's all good having a poster but unless I can feel it it isn't technically real you know it's something that you have to have it's like having a 100 GSM cotton t-shirt and having a 180 GSM cotton t-shirt I like them heavy duty I don't like them thin because of the feel you know and I feel like me making t-shirts and like apparel and hoodies and all that kind of stuff boils down to again me not wanting to drop excessive amounts of money on on t-shirts and stuff and i know it's not going to be printed right done properly mass produced and all that kind of stuff or someone else's idea or opinion or thought you know that i don't want to sit well with but hey it's a palace t-shirt it's Mm -hmm. here so i might as well grab it i'd rather like take the time out drop the 20th pounds or whatever, get one of one made, get a bunch of made from the my Mates and whatever, and if you want and like them, you like them, if you don't, you don't. But at the same time I'm never gonna be, never gonna feel like I need to look out for it, make sure that it's washed inside out, make sure that it's not getting stained and all that kind of stuff because it is just a t-shirt and I thought like that's what it should be. Bro. It should be like this one thing that's always on your chest that you should be able to just like interchange on and off and not worry about the cost or the repercussions of buying. 100 pound t-shirt, like the thing that sticks out to me most is when I was a little bit younger and I went to vape and I picked up like a little polo and the price went on it and I walked over to the till and I was like yeah I'll take that and she was like that's 89 pounds and inside I was dying I was like man like save face, like take the plastic, take it oh. and like the thing is you, I busted it twice, got paint on it. Done, uh, do you know what I mean, <laughs> I'm like £90 down and shit, but I've got like, this really nice polo with a little stain on it, still got it, but I got it for home, got it for that gardening and shit, do you know what I mean, but if I've got like a stain on a £20 t-shirt, £30 t-shirt, man, it's like, on to the next one, I can get the next one, yeah. you know, and it's something that I feel we used to do, or they used to do, in terms of like, selling t-shirts, like at base levels, 30 quid, 35, and now you're picking up t-shirts for 48, 52 pounds, you know. Um I think there's a brand called Iron London and Moment trying to like dark it with like heavy cotton t-shirts, £75, pounds, one print, plus the salt. Nah. Like it's too much money, man. I can't yeah. be doing that stuff. And I know that like I know that things are getting more expensive and like that's the way the world's going, but like just because Everything else is expensive, like, apparel doesn't have to be, it needs to be accessible for everybody, you know. It shouldn't be a thing where like, I like your t-shirt but I can't afford that t-shirt because it's like 75.90 quid. Um, It should be a case of like, I want that t-shirt. 20 quid, sound, I got it, next one, boom, 20 pound, next one. Um, So for me, translating my design work into apparel is like a natural thing, natural progression, natural avenue. Um, And it's something that I'm going to try and do like continuously up until a point where I feel like it's it's established enough to like put it out more openly, you know, like open up to the doors of the world like like I said earlier, like integrity and ethos has always been to make stuff that's affordable that I like to not compromise and stuff like that but it's like we said if a brand comes through that you don't really agree with and they offer you big bucks like what do you do there and all that kind of stuff Um, but I feel like it just depends on who you are as a person. At the end of the day, like where your integrity stands, and where you decide you want to take your stuff further. Because at the end of the day, the Well Wishes stuff is me. It's my brand. It's the face of it. So if I start doing stuff for Superdry, that's gonna that's gonna be in the history of the brand forever. You know? And I've got to be more conscious of of that kind of stuff than not, so to speak. Catch me on Instagram, um, Well Wishes eighty eight, Tumblr, Ruben Martino. WWAEA, um, no website just yet. In the works. In the works, under construction. Finding <laughs> the right guy. Yeah. Yeah, sick. right match, much, man. Yeah, thanks, nice nice man. Big up.
1: Next up, we have a section where we discuss whatever is happening in menswear. This week, it's going to be Virgil Abloh and how he's fucking everywhere.
0: He's doing daily collabs with Nike, has a new one with Bromoa, and he's just done one with Ikea. Everything seems to be in inverted commas and with an orange tag on it. We're in a Virgil moment. We'll be focusing on the Louis Vuitton show and what it means for the future of menswear. So the world of Virgil Abloh. Oh man. We're actually living in it. I thought it was going to be loads more shit than it was. I thought it was going to be not as streetwear orientated. Oh really? I don't know, like, it just seemed a bit, I don't know, it it wasn't too dissimilar in my opinion than like some Givenchy stuff from a few years ago. Without the mental, like, dogs.
1: Yeah, I reckon... You know what, actually? I think we both thought there was one really, really sick look, which was, to be fair, when I was watching it, it's one of the first ones that that came down the runway that you saw clearly, and it was the
0: silk sort of see-through T-shirt Yeah.
1: that was very, very fire.
0: I don't... Yeah, I, I get it, but it also looks... Really fake, like it looks like a sort of thing you'd see <laughs> yeah. in like a market.
1: Yeah, but also could be one of the things where you touch it and you're there, like oh.
0: I do wonder what it's made out of. Like, not rayon, some next. No, like, surely it's got to be something sick. Some next level silk. That's Roman why. Silk.
1: The other impression that I got was, it would be the kind of thing where you'd see it in a store and you'd go. You'd want, well, ideally, you'd want to go, oh my god, this is
0: sick. Have you been to the Louboutin store? Not in a long time. It's mad. It's got like four floors, the one in Bond Street anyway, and it's got like a library. And there's like, in the downstairs bit, it's like an Aladdin's Cave that goes through. There's a massive art piece, and just like, I don't know, garments I, I never knew that Louboutin, like they produce. Yeah, it's mad. But like, it's so one of those brands
1: that like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think to buy. Not that I'd have the money to, but I wouldn't be like, cool, I'm going to go and try and cop whatever piece I want next from Louis.
0: I don't, yeah. I've never thought to like buy Garms from that. And not that, like you said, not that I ever fucking would ever have the money to do that. What was really interesting was the, the cast, is it called a cast? The models? Yeah, 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 yeah. They were it was literally the people from London. I know. The people of the Mandem. Them. Basically. Just literally guys or, that you probably know through friends of friends that you might have seen at like Visions or like yeah. through Instagram or something.
1: And shout out fucking Kid Cody for having the worst hay fever in the world. Guy's eyes were fucking shut.
0: Well that's that I mean, being a hay fever sufferer myself, no, I feel like, I feel yeah. his payment.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. He did look I couldn't work out. It looked like he was squinting though. Did you not think that?
0: Was he do you think he was just like super high
1: yeah maybe and it also didn't do you that know, so like there must have been the guy behind it must have been like 6 foot 4
0: it was yep. really unfortunate it was um it was mad f- for me seeing Lucian Platt. that was the first person I noticed that was like I was like one minute that's mm. that's the palace guy and then the other palace guy Blondie yeah like, Blondie Coy. there's a there's kind of like there's a guy called Bakar. Yeah. yeah Kk. I don't know who he is but he's just like again an Instagram geezer. And he's just then, he's like, all right, this is kind of mad. Yeah. I wonder who did the casting and how that worked out and how much creative freedom does Virgil Abloh actually have? Yeah. Did you watch the Dior and I thing? No. Is that the thing with
1: Raf? Is it decent? It's actually really worth a watch just in terms of you get to see a bit of like Raph Simmons. But as much as that, you get to see how Dior as a company works. And they just got like, all of these really incredibly talented middle-aged women that you could go up to them and be like, so I want to make a reversible double-breasted blazer.
0: And, they'll be and they will
1: like, be like, cool, I'll get that done for you
0: today. Oh, and they're in the couture house. Sort of thing, yeah, and they're like the atelier,
1: hmm. and it's sick. But the other thing, really interesting thing that happens is, they have, you know, I don't know if you remember the show, it's the women's, I think it's the women's couture show, and she, they have walls of flowers, head like from okay. floor to ceiling in these rooms and all different colours and types of flowers and stuff is really really nice but they have to ring up uh they call him Monsieur Arnaud you know the guy yeah who yeah, yeah, LRBH, yeah right. so they ring, they ring him up and just have to ask him if it's alright to like spend 200,000 euros on flowers or whatever
0: and he's there like
1: yeah no probs or like I don't know if that's how the conversation went but they got the flowers
0: it's very funny so I imagine like He's like, yeah, so we're going to call like, Blondie McCoy to like be one of the runway models. I don't know if that's how it works. I have no idea. I've never Surely. worked it ever. But he
1: got signed to Kate Moss's agency.
0: I saw that as well. And that's... So apparently their agency is around the corner from the Egg nightclub in North London. That's very funny. Yeah. Noel Gallagher. Is it Noel Gallagher or Liam Gallagher? Who's got Pretty Green? Yeah, Liam. The showroom is also around the corner from there. It's like such a weird little area,
1: that. I once saw... So in the Cousy Bro Turkish Barbershop by work mm. in Camden, Mornington Crescent, there's a site and they're waiting for a haircut one time and a guy
0: comes up, you know when you see someone who's attached Bluetooth speakers to a bike? It's one thing I've really considered doing, like I'm thinking about it on a regular basis. Yeah. So How does that happen? Was it on the top tube like hanging down? That- yeah, yeah.
1: He'd like just... Um,
0: salutate it. No. Nah,
1: uh, what are they called? Zip ties. Zip, zip ties. Right. Zip ties. He'd zip tied the, the speaker to the top tube.
0: That's a sick idea.
1: It was really, and it worked really well by the look of it, but he was like cycling around, blasting all this music, and he randomly fucking came in to the barbershop and gave all the, all the guys in there a big box of donuts. I was just there like, what the fuck just happened? And then one of the guys went, oh yeah, he owns the egg nightclub. I was there like, what? And he tazzes around town. Shaved head. Yeah. On a white, like, mountain bike. Yeah. Tazzes around town with fucking yeah. smashing out the techno.
0: Got, like, um, like weird tribal tattoos. Yeah. Like, his tribal sleeve. Yeah, I've seen him around. With sunglasses. Looks yes. like... Yes, 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 like, yes, yes, uh, yes. Not Blade. Triple X. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Also, low-key, I'm waiting for tribal patterns to come to have an ironic moment. I think it's going to happen.
0: Of course it is. If Supreme are doing those, like, air monarchs with... Hot Wheels, Flames. Mm. I just don't get all that. Like, I feel really old. I don't understand this whole, like, dress like a 90s dad movement. Do you think... Especially the trainers. I'm like, do why you think, do you want clumpy trainers? They look mm-hmm. stupid.
1: Well, I don't hate them. I think you know they look so though? silly. Fucking yeah. Sawkone have been making trainers like that for ages.
0: They have, but not ironically. Whereas, yeah. like, nike and now pushing you know, out exactly. the Sports Direct line into, like, DSM. It's like, really... I'm not on it. Mm. Do you think that you dressed in that style
1: comparatively for your age? So when you were 16, do you think you were rocking all the weird shit that people that are our age were like, what the fuck are you doing?
0: That's a very good question. So like what when like streetwear 1.0 was coming out?
1: Actually, I almost
0: 100%. I had this weird mix of indie and streetwear going on. So That's I'd, what. So That was the thing though, wasn't it? Like yeah. Top Man skinny jeans... Yeah. With, like, a hundreds hoodie or, and like... fucking bad boy high tops that you would cop in size when it was still cool. Super Sky Tops. Remember them? Oh, man, Do you yeah. remember the Chad Muskers? Yeah. Didn't you have, like, all gold ones or something? They were horrific. What, me? No, no, no. Chad oh, Musker. he did,
1: yeah. I'd never bought them, though. They were terrible. But, yeah.
0: So, for this Louis Vuitton rundown...
1: The other thing I really actually liked about it was the whole runway and colour t-shirt concept and for a long time I thought I was watching something with a live th- like filter on it like they'd done it with magic special effects and computers and shit and they'd just changed the white to the colour
0: what's it like Because it came in, like, droves
1: of, like, so it started out white. Yeah, no, but the people on the sides, you know how people were in, like, coloured T-shirts corresponding to the Mm -hmm, actual mm -hmm. runway? I thought that was just some nuts. I was like, wow, have they done some insane weird filter here? But they weren't. It it was
0: just coloured T-shirts and paint. It was pretty sick. Yeah. But, yeah, go on. What um, what were you about to say? I was going to say, it's kind of interesting that... I don't know what's really interesting about him being creative director because it's nothing new for a black guy or a person from the urban industry to be... I think I, I think what's really interesting about Virgil Abloh being the creative... Is it creative director? Oh, I think he's artistic director. What the fuck is the difference? I hate these titles. Yeah. What does that even mean? Anyway, for him to be artistic director or whatever he is, it's... Interesting because it's a, obviously a couture house, and that's why him and Kanye were crying, for some reason because it was that momentous. But the likes of P Diddy having his own line way back when, or like Fubu being so synonymous in the late nineties, it's kind of like, well, has urban culture already has? Has urban culture always been at the forefront of fashion, and why is it taken so much time for the couture houses to take notice?
1: It's true. I think that's what's important is that it's that he's from an urban, urban's such a shit word. I fucking hate that word. I feel like, like, I feel
0: like an old white guy in a shit suit from Arthur Spencer doing like an advert for Nat West. When I say the word urban, it makes me really die. But you know what? Like you're basically saying. uh, Welcome to our new urban bank account. Yeah, exactly. We'll give you a free hip hop album. Which I heard on iTunes or whatever. Exactly.
1: But yeah, no, I'm going to change, I'll say streetwear, because it's sort of also a shitty all-encompassing term now, but um, I think it's important that he's the first streetwear guy. It's very of the moment in that it's encapsulating this movement from what streetwear used to be into mainstream fashion, not necessarily super high fashion, other than in this instance. But all the shapes are becoming more and more what streetwear used to be. So you get things like utility vests, jackets with loads of pockets and like hoodies and stuff like that, that would be a streetwear staple that are now part of high fashion. And I guess that's what I found interesting. So do you think
0: that it'll be really interesting to kind of see how streetwear progresses because if that's what high fashion is, how are the kids in you know, inverted commas, what are they going to be wearing? Because if that's what millionaire guys that go and shop on Mr. Porter are going to be dressing like, you don't want to be looking like that. You want to be having your own take on things. I think so. it's already happened.
1: I think when Louis and Supreme did the collab, I think that was the first Marker for the end of what people call streetwear and you could say it's been going in that direction for a long time with like brands like Our Legacy and like Norse Projects were all already they're not really a streetwear aesthetic but they were kind of sitting in between still and they weren't really like high end high end but they weren't really like completely not streetwear either I don't know I guess it opens up the space for like techwear I
0: hear that did you see that Valentino are going to be working with Nas and ASAP Ferg? So when I was what? looking, when I was, <laughs> when, when I when Those I was short hair guys collab. Like. Literally, it's mad. So like after looking at this, like the the presentation itself or the runway, should I say, for Louboutin going on kind of hype beast. There, it was like a full takeover of. Oh yeah. Virgil Abloh off white Louboutin. It was just like the whole front page was a full takeover. Heist and was the same um, but one of the things that was interesting was that Valentino is, maybe not piggybacking isn't the right word but they're getting in on the action. Yeah and do you think that that's going to be the way that all these fashion houses, these couture kind of high end labels are going to be potentially going fuck, sort of, again using that shit word but using urban whatever that means as a as a way of marketing themselves or the direction they want to be taking themselves as the more, you know, taking inspiration or the creative direction of an urban star.
1: Yeah, basically, I think they will. I, surely it's just going to get co-opted so hard. Like, everyone, everyone will be starting to get deals.
0: I just hope Dries Van Noten doesn't do that.
1: I don't think they will. I think there'll be some brands like Dries or Com or... Who else? People, people that have carved out like that real kind of aesthetic for themselves and like built up customers like that aren't really gonna need to. But I think people like
0: who's really taking notice of Valentino. That's a good point. But who, who actually owns Valentino? Is it one? Is it one of the groups? I have no idea actually. Because it's, it's, so, it's, like, sold... it's so far down
1: on my radar.
0: Because like... it, it, it's sold in the likes of flannels. So it's like next to, you know, Tom Ford, Stone Island, mm. that sort of stuff. And obviously they've got their own standalone stores and, you know, probably Bond Street and stuff. But you're, like you said, it's not on anyone's radar. And to make themselves relevant again, it's kind of like, hey, let's get some interesting rappers and people of the culture to help yeah. push us forward. Because my. Understanding of it, which is incredibly
1: limited, was that it was like a women's wear red carpet brand, and it was like that's what you wanted to be seen in the Oscars type of deal. Yeah. But yeah. A while ago, and then if you are doing a men's collection and you're seeing the traction that other people are getting with that, then yeah, why not? But what are they going to do? ASAP Fogan and It
0: just says they're going to help be the, the creative directors. Not maybe it's not the creative directors. They're collaborating with them for SS. 19 and that was it so again the oh, like piece being ambiguous as ever you think they're just going to put the their name on it well similar to like what pharrell being the creative director of g-star that sort of thing like what does he actually do what does rihanna do at puma probably not a lot so potentially it's just that a standpoint yeah. being like hey we're
1: I cool i know though like i think rihanna by the looks of it had like genuine input I reckon Insofar as, like, I like this as an idea, what do you think? Maybe. Mm. Or, like, I, don't th- I didn't get the impression she was quite just sticking her name on any random shit. I think that for, if you're that person, you probably have to have a level of input to protect yourself. And also, I read an interview in Gross magazine with ASAP Ferg, and he started off in art school making t-shirts and shit. So I imagine he's probably got the background to okay. have some sort of input.
0: I had no idea he had any sort of cr- like art background. So yeah, he's like so. mad about NY. Good guy, yeah, I don't know. Right, well, let's Sh- Shout out, accept <laughs> <laughs> Literally, shout out, accept
1: <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Oh, I had something. All the tears at the end. Yes. I really enjoyed that. I actually felt like it was a genuine touching moment because I feel like there's a lot, a lot is made of Kanye's and Virgil's uh, relationship from the outside. And it's the kind of thing you would know nothing about because they've been like bros for years, right? So you don't know if they're just like, what is going on? But it was really, really cool. And I like that they were both like, oh my God, I love you, man. I thought that was sick. My favourite, favourite bit, and I'm going to put this on Instagram, is that when they parted, and they had their hands over their eyes? All you see is uh, Murakami in the background, fucking filming them like you're on the ground. Motherfucker is <laughs> the funniest fucking thing. That's all I could look at. It'll be on the ground. 100.